We're going to be in Daniel chapter 2, if you turn there with me. Um, we're walking through the book of Daniel. Why is Daniel important? Daniel's important because Daniel shows us what it looks like to live as a Christian in secular culture. And so uh, too many of us, as we've said over the last several weeks, too many of us don't understand that we actually are actually part of a secular culture. We think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not um, near ISIS, you know, over in the Middle East, so I get my head chopped off for believing in Jesus or what have you. But the, the truth is that we live in a secular culture that is constantly pushing back on Jesus. It's, it's constantly trying to take uh, the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of Scripture and twist those things, uh, or they just reject them altogether. And so we want to know and understand what it looks like to be a Christian in this society, in this secular society. And we talked about Psalm 137. We've mentioned it every week that talks about how can we sing the Lord's songs while we're in Babylon. And what we're, we've been saying is how do we sing the songs of God while we're in the midst of this culture, while we're in exile, while we're a part of another culture that's antithetical to uh, the gospel in so many ways. And so that's what we've been uh, trying to understand. So brief background about Daniel is that Daniel's been taken exile. He's been taken into captivity along with some of his other good-looking friends. And they are, have been taken to Babylon, and they've been put into the service of the king. And God has blessed them because ultimately what ended up happening is that uh, they stayed true to God even when they had all types of temptation in front of them, such as the king's food and the king's wine. And Daniel resolved, it says in, in chapter 1, verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food. And so what you see in the life of Daniel is that Daniel has not just like ended up in some situation where all of a sudden, oh, crud, I'm in secular culture, and now you know they uh, want to kill me or something like that. But Daniel, all the way along, has been faithful to God. And so he's risked his neck uh, because he is devoted to Yahweh. That's God's name. He's devoted to Yahweh. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to serve God. He wants to live for God. He wants everything in his life to be lived for for God. And so that's uh, what, what's been taking place. And then in chapter 2, what we saw was this, is that the king has had this dream, and he doesn't know what the dream means. And so he comes to his cabinet, as it were, in some ways, of astrologers and sorcerers and magicians and all of these people who are supposed to understand dreams and things of that nature. And he comes to them, and he says, I had this crazy dream. I want you to tell me what it means, but here's the catch. Uh, you need to tell me what the dream is that I had. And so it's really kind of confusing and so these guys all anger the king and they say you know there's no man uh, who's going to figure this out for you there's no astrologer or um, sorcerer or what have you that's going to figure this out and so uh, and really the only one that could answer this is, is is one of the gods and they don't live with humanity and so you're basically out of luck king and so the king gets really mad and he says I'm cutting all your heads off and so that's that's it so Daniel hears about this and he says, what? What is happening here? What is going on? And we saw that he responded with prudence and wisdom in that situation. And what we're seeing from this is we're seeing a life of character that's being developed here. Like, how do we live in this culture where people are so just upset with Christians? And we are constantly being blamed with bigotry and uh, homophobia and with all and racism and uh, you know all kinds chauvinism. I mean, just anything that you can think of. 
that, that's happening. Recently, this happened not with someone who's a Christian, but somebody of another religion uh, in our state who said what is true about sexuality, and yet people said that that's hateful and it's going to lead towards people being killed and, and things of that nature. It's just this is how our culture looks at it. How do we live in this world in the midst of that? How is Daniel going to get through this circumstance? How is he going to deal with with all of this. Well, we're going uh, to see this right now. We're beginning in verse 17 here, and I'm going to read through the entire thing uh, through verse 30, and, uh, and then we'll come back to the top of that. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells in him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. And have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to them, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living. But in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So what's going on here? Well, Daniel has just kind of freaked out. And he didn't really freak out. He, he went home and he hung out with his friends and then they prayed and so on and so forth. But you get to the end of the story and what you see is that he's standing in front of the king. And he proclaims boldly. And I want to start there for just a second and just talk about this for a moment. What's it like to proclaim boldly? 
What's it like to stand in front of the king? I mean, this happens all the time throughout scripture as you see in the life of Joseph and Moses and others in the New Testament and so forth, and of course, Jesus as well, proclaiming boldly what he believes. But too often, the way that we can feel is that like I don't want to be too uh, vocal about my faith because I don't want them to think that I'm that kind of Christian, as we've said. I don't, don't want them to, to feel like I'm going to come down on them as though I am somebody who is uh, you know, one of those bigoted people or what have you. So I'll just keep to myself and I won't say anything. But in reality, this is what God desires from us. God wants boldness and God wants us to live this life in the way that Daniel did. It's not prescriptive, but it's descriptive. It's showing us what a life lived for God looks like. Like, how do we live for God in those moments when you're standing in front of the king, when you're standing in front of the boss, when you're standing in front of the teacher, the professor, the whoever, the whoever it might be, when you're standing in front of that person, how do you, how can you proclaim? And some of us can look at that story and just say, man, the boldness that this took, that this guy had to be able to stand there and say this. I mean, you have to remember, he virtually said the same thing that the wise men said. That's what the king was so upset about and said, I'm going to cut all your heads off. Daniel stands in front of him, says the exact same thing. But then he continues and he tells him what actually was. And so Daniel puts his neck on the line. He's this hero that we're looking at. And we have to ask ourselves, how do we become those kinds of people in everyday life? I don't know if you've been in these situations before where you're in a coffee shop or you're in a quiet place and you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about your faith, and you immediately have that feeling of, I don't want to say this too loud because I don't want them to think that I'm that kind of Christian. Or, I don't want them to think that, that, I'm, that I'm weird. I was walking down the street with, um, with somebody just recently. We were talking about the Lord. We were talking about our faith. And right, we were coming right by somebody, and all of a sudden... His voice dropped as he said the name of Jesus. And you know what? I thought to myself, I thought, that's so interesting because that's what I feel like doing too. How, are we people who are afraid of mentioning God in public? And how did we get to that point? How, do we get, how did it get to the point where I'm, I'm just going to assume that if you're a, a follower of Jesus, that you may have some of these traits too. I don't know what to, to what degree, but don't we all have that sense of like, man, I just don't want to say this too loud. But you look at the life of Daniel and you go, here's this, this guy who's a hero. And he is proclaiming in front of this great king, like, man, this is who I serve. This is what it's about that kind of thing. Well, let me tell you, when we're in a place of, I don't want to say the name of Jesus too loud because I don't want anybody to think that I'm a whack job, right? When we're in that place, when you get into game day, when you get to that point, you're not going to be able to speak the name of Jesus. You're not going to. It's just not going to happen because our inability to say things in very different circumstances is directly related to who we are as people on a regular basis. But Daniel has something that all of us 
sometimes lack. Daniel has something that all of us lack. Let's look at it together. The first thing is this. And these are possibilities. It's not necessarily the fact that this is what's going on. So there is a a heavy-duty thing here in verse 17. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. So the first thing that Daniel has is that he has a community of people. He has a community of friends, and the first thing that he thinks of is he goes home and he says, I've got to get with my friends who are followers of Yahweh. They live their life for God. They live their life for Jesus Christ. And so he goes to them and he goes to their house. And, and, and he said, guys, we've, we've got to get together on this. And so my first question for you is, do you have a group of friends that you could come to and you could say, like, okay, I've got this issue going on and I don't know what to do with it. Like, this is heavy stuff. I'm about to lose the job. I'm about to lose the marriage. It doesn't necessarily have to do with secular culture. It could have to do with your life. But who are you walking with? Who are you walking with? What it means to to live in Christian community is to know others and to be known by others. It doesn't mean that somehow you have taken on the Christian label and so somehow now you are a Christian because you've taken on that label. That is to be Christian in name only. That's not to really be somebody who is of God. That is to, to be somebody who's taken on a secular label and not taking on who Jesus really is. Look at what Jesus says in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. He says, The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now think about what that means. It means this, like, you are expected, the expectation, it's, it's, it's implied. It's just like, man, if you're going to be a part of my kingdom, if you're going to be a part of Jesus Christ, then what should be true of you is that you love other believers, and yes, other people as well. But Jesus is praying for the believers, and he's saying that I want them to love one another. And he says, to the degree that I loved you, I want you to love one another. And so what does it look like to live in community as a Christian? Well, is it like worldly relationships where this is mutually beneficial? Like, I like you. You're in a similar stage of life. You, have, you, do, you, you work in something that I find interesting or you're, you, know, you're a, you work at home like I do. And, so, and we like uh, the same things on Pinterest or whatever, you know, Instagram or what have you. And so we really kind of get along. Like our church, I think, could, be, uh, could really um, suffer from this in some ways because, you know, we got some cool cats here. We got some people that, you know, you got the hipster glasses like Blake and you're... Uh, and, uh, you know, you dress nice and stuff. Like that. But when you end up in a group of people who are not necessarily dressed like you, look like you, maybe not even the same color as you, and yet you say, you know, I'm not sure that this is the right group for me. I'm not in the, I'm not in the right church necessarily. What you're saying is you're saying this. I operate on a consumeristic basis. And the consumeristic basis is what our world is based on. And so, therefore, I only engage in relationships that are mutually beneficial Like, it's got to benefit me. 
But is that what, what Jesus went to the cross for? Is Jesus' relationship with us mutually beneficial? On some level it is because somehow he loves us and it's just like we are his prize. It's, and it, it is so weird. Like he went to the cross for this, but there's no reason why that should be. There's no reason why Jesus should value and desire a relationship with you. Like, like, after all that I've done for you, like Jesus could say, right? Like, dude, I come down here, I walk with you, show you a bunch of miracles, humanity. I'm healing people, I'm doing all these things, and yet here you are sinning again? Isn't that mutually beneficial for us to have a relationship with Jesus? Jesus went to the cross for us. And so Jesus models for us what relationship is like. And Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. And so that means that when you're in Christian relationship, when, when you're in the midst of Christian community, that that relationship may not benefit you at all. It may be uncomfortable. It may be difficult. It may be what, uh, what some people call, like, you know, I just don't feel called to this. You know what? I'm not sure that you can understand what your calling is if you cannot understand that. You can't understand what your calling is because you haven't really looked at the gospel and seen, like, this is the way that Jesus loved me, and so therefore I love other people that way. And so that means that when it comes to inviting people to my house or inviting them into my community or being uh, in, uh, in, in some type of relationship with them, it means that this is probably not going to be uncomfortable. I'm sorry, this is probably going to be uncomfortable. It's going to get uncomfortable. It's going to get difficult. They're going to be spinning out their life. They're going to act weird. It's probably you. I don't, I don't know. I mean, you're probably the one. But, they, you know, there's just going to be different things that happen. Our church is based on community. Every church really is based on community. And Jesus says this, that one of the greatest witnesses that you can have is this, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. And so this even gets into the idea of, do you trash talk people that go to your church? Do you trash talk your church? I mean, there may be reasons to trash talk your church. I mean, like, you may not like me, you may not, you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe this isn't the exact right church for you. But when you walk into culture and you trash talk someone who's also a believer, or even a non-believer, or you trash talk the, the place where you go and you misrepresent Christ in this way, you're not loving each other as he has loved you. You're not just not a good witness for Jesus. You're a witness in the other direction. When we do that, that's what's going on. And so what are we doing here at Outward Church? Well, Outward Church, we want to know and be known by one another. We create community groups that are gospel-centered relationships. Why do we call them gospel-centered? Because the gospel is what Jesus has done for us in life, in death, in resurrection, and even today and into the future. They're gospel-centered relationships that say this. Why am I struggling with this? Well, the truth is that I don't understand the gospel in its fullness and how it applies to my finances. Or, 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 guys, how it applies to how I love my wife, even though I don't feel like loving my wife right this second. Even though that's not true of me, I love my wife incredibly. We're going to Seattle today to go hang out with uh, some friends. It's going to be amazing. I love my wife a ton. I just want to make that clear. So, 
Got myself in trouble a couple times. You might be able to tell, but love you, babe. <laughs> uh, guys need to understand how the gospel applies to their marriage, and women need to understand that as well. What are our community groups for? They're for helping us understand that. And so we're relaunching community groups right now. We're relaunching them, and so you can get online. You can find one um, online. You can search for that on, on our website. You'll find it. It'll be very easy to, to locate. You can go out to Connect Central. Someone will connect you uh, with that. But that's one of the best ways that you can get involved in community, and I want to encourage you to love one another in and through that. The second thing that they do is they pray for mercy. You can see in Daniel's life, like, it's not just, I just began this, oh, crud, uh, stuff's coming down, and so now I'm going to pray. But this is a praying community of people. They're praying for mercy. Verse 18, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. I mean, they just come together and they just say, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray that God speaks to us right here and right now. Like, and let me just ask you. There's uh, many people who say, you know, I've got enough community outside of the church. What that means is that I know people who are Christians, and I know that they would never ask me to take acid or, uh, you know, shoot up or something like that, and so that's good enough for me. But no, that's not Christian community. Christian community is something where you can come together and you can say, we got to go to the Lord in prayer together, and then we all pray fervently for God to move. Because, hey, God, if you do not move in this situation, we're going to fail. God, if you do not cause things to be different, then it's, it's all going to come undone. What else is this doing? It's saying this. It's saying, I'm at a situation in life where there's no other way that this is, is going to happen. Too frequently, we end up in situations where we do everything we can do, and then when I am exhausted and all of my resources are out, then I'll go to God in prayer. I do that all the time. I do it all the time. And every week, especially for uh, prep, preparing a sermon and things like that, I find myself, I've been into it for a little while, I'm like, dang it. I, the one person that I should be talking to is God. Like, God, you've got to speak here. You need to speak in these situations. You need to be a part of this in my life. Let me ask you something. Do you have Christian friends who are people who would lead you to prayer and who would cause you to say, I need to seek the mercy of God. You're the only one who can do this. Because here's what happens when you don't have that. You end up by yourself, and then you say, hey, God, I've been a Christian, and what is all this crud that you uh, place on me? We do that even with Christian friends. You say, God, why did you allow the bottom to fall out of my life, and why did you allow me to lose this or lose that? How could you be? No, that's got to happen in Christian community. Otherwise, you just go off on your own, and you just do your own thing, and you say, I'm just angry with God, and you don't even understand how God works. But Christian friends will come around you and say, we need to pray for you so that you maintain the faith even and through the difficulties that you're experiencing right now. So Christian community is not just for friendship and not just for love, but it is for prayer and for seeking God together. Uh, the third thing that we see in this passage is verse 19. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. 
So this, this is what happens. God answers. God reveals to Daniel this incredible uh, vision, this incredible dream. And so what can we take from this? Well, there's some wacky people who call themselves Christians who are constantly obsessed with what Daniel did about, like, we just got to pray and we got to seek God's mercy. And then, and then God will uh, reveal these visions and these dreams, and then we can do that. But that's to be prescriptive, to say, we need to do exactly what Daniel does and only eat vegetables, which would be a horrible life. But, like, we, we need to do what he's done, and, and sorry to all the vegans, but um, it's just, it's sad. I'll pray, for, I'll pray for God's mercy on you, but, um, you know, there's, uh, the, the truth is, is that we uh, tend to just pray for uh, mercy, and we never go back and we say thanks. We never go back and say thank you to God when he answers. We never go back and... And really worship him. But I want you to look at this, this prayer. And it's really, it's worship. It's praise. Let me, let me ask you something. Is worship something that you listen to? Or, or is it something that embodies who you are? Because if worship is just something that you listen to, you're not a worshiper. You're an admirer of worship. Or perhaps worshipers. But you yourself are not a worshiper. And what does it mean to be a worshiper? It means you're proclaiming the goodness, the excellencies of God. You're proclaiming what is true from the top down. Look at what they say. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. It just starts with, like, man, God's name is incredible. Praise be to his name. He is almighty. What, what's he say here? To whom belong wisdom and might. Like God is so smart. He's smarter than anyone. He's incredible. And he's more powerful than all of us. So what's he saying in the very beginning? What He's saying this. He's saying, I can't figure this out. God's the only one that can figure this out, and God's more powerful than all y'all and, and, and myself, and so I'm looking to God. This is worship. This is praise that's erupting out of him. He says he changes times and seasons. What's he saying there? He's saying God has his hand on everything that's happening in our world. God has his hand on the natural world. He directs the times and the seasons of life. He directs how nature continues to go on at the same pace. He's continually in charge and in control of all of these things. The cosmos, the universe is under his control. Think about what that's doing for you as you're proclaiming God's wisdom, God's might, his power, his absolute control. God, you're in charge of everything. You might say, yeah, I know that, but have you said that? Have you worshipped in, in that way? Have you been able to raise your hands and say, yes, 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 that's true. It says this, he removes kings and sets up kings. Think about what that's saying. The president isn't in power because of an election. The president is in power because God has placed him there. 
The last president wasn't in power because of an election, but because our God is mighty. And he's the one who removes presidents and puts them into place. He's the one who has put Kate Brown as governor. He is the one who has determined the amount of time. Yeah, there's term limits, but God is ultimately and finally in control of those. God is the ultimate term limit agent. He sets up kings and removes kings. Think about what that does for you as you think about, like, God, you're in charge of the natural world. You're in charge of the governmental world. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Like anybody who claims to be smart, anybody who thinks they have it together, anybody who is, who is all that in a bag of chips, whatever it is, he is the one who gave them wisdom. And true wisdom is to believe in God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. True wisdom says there is a God. But even our so-called worldly wisdom about the natural world or science or technology or what have you, it comes from God. So at the very roots of who he is, uh, Daniel is saying, I don't control nature. I don't control government. I don't control the gifts that people have or, 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 or how they live life or anything like that. But I understand that God is the one who has bestowed these things on those people and on myself. He reveals deep and hidden things, it says in verse 22. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. God knows every detail of what's going on. God's not out of control. God is in control. God's not wondering what's going to happen, as a, a detestable theology called open theism would say. God is absolutely in control. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. He knows what's in the darkness. The light dwells in him. Verse 23, to you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might. Daniel knows where he derives his power from. At the very core of who Daniel is, He's gone through life, and he starts at the top, and he goes down to him and his personality and his giftings and his traits and everything that he has. And he says, at the very core of who I am, I have to thank you. I have to praise you because you're the one whom I derive any amount of wisdom or knowledge or power from. In Daniel's private moments... He's already saying the things before he even gets to the moment that he is supposed to be the hero. See, Daniel's heroic stance in front of the king did not happen just in an instant. This is who Daniel is. Is this who you are? Are you praying about Stuff, and you're, you're just going, God, I just want things to be better in my marriage, or I just want things to be better in, in my financial life, or I just want things to be better at work, or I just want a better house, or I just, I just want, I just want, I just want. And that's the sum total of the things that we're saying and the, and the, and the way that we're going. And what's actually taking place is we're just saying, God, I just want you to fulfill me. I just want you to make me feel good about life. 
instead of going the other direction and, say, and saying this, I'm a worshiper of God. Everything that I have right now, you've given to me. Good or bad, you have allowed it to take place. I don't know why you've chosen to do that, but I know that you're in control. I know that you're in control. There's no better time to start than right this moment and begin to not just say the right thing. It's not, it's not the secret knock. It's not anything like that. It is living a life of worship to God, not waiting until calamity comes, but saying, I'm, I'm living a life of worship on a regular basis. And when I get to the moment where the bottom falls out of life, then I can truly express these things and not just say them like, I don't really believe them. I don't really believe this stuff. I don't really, you know, I'm just saying it so God will give me stuff. No, it comes from a heart that's deeply seated in those things. He says, and have now made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. And what's Daniel really saying through all of this? He's saying something similar that happened in Acts chapter 4, where Peter and John... They, uh, they're thrown in, in, in prison, and they're, um, they're interrogated and all of this stuff, and they, they get out of prison, and they show up to all of the believers' house, and it says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 23. It says, when they were released, they went to their friends. Look at this. There's Old Testament. Daniel, what's he do? The first thing he does, he goes to community. What do the believers in Acts do? They get released from prison, and they go to community to their friends and reported what, what had happened. And it says in verse 24, and when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. And what are they saying? This is the model for what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus. This is what it means to believe that Yahweh is ultimately and finally in control. This is what it means. He is sovereign over my situation. He's in control of the circumstances that are happening in my life. Does it mean that we don't pray? No, it does mean that we pray. It means, man, we're, we're pleading with you to, to do something different, but we're also uh, exclaiming that the, the only way that I can pray is if you're actually in charge. You can't pray to God unless you believe that he's sovereign. Why else would you talk to him? God, I'm hoping that somehow you put in a good word for me for Sa with Satan or, or somebody, whoever else is in control up there. I'm just kind of hoping... no. To, to be able to pray to God means I trust you that you can control these things. That's what they're doing in the Old Testament. That's what they're doing in the New Testament. That's what it looks like to be somebody who is praying. What comes out of this life, this community, this prayer, this praise, what comes out of it? What takes place? There's a confidence. Verse 24 back in Daniel, Daniel chapter 2. Here we go. Therefore Daniel went to Arioch whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. Stop right there for a second. What did Daniel do? He goes to the very guy who's supposed to kill him, right? Goes to that guy. I, I, that's written in there for a reason. The, the writer is telling us, hey, it's pretty crazy. He like went to the dude that's supposed to just, you know, just stick one to him. And he goes there and he, and he went and said thus to him, 
Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. What's, what's happening? Daniel, with courage and confidence, I want, you to, I want to focus on the confidence that he has, the courage that he has. As he walks in there and he says, hey, guy, that's supposed to kill me, the captain of the guard. Like, if you don't do what the king tells you to do, you're dead. But he walks straight in there and says, hey, don't do it. Don't do it. Think about the confidence that this guy has. And what does it come from? It comes from the fact that he's in community, that he's praying for God's mercy. We've asked him. It comes from prayer and praise and worship and saying, God, you're in control. You're sovereign. Do you know what we're talking about right now? We're talking about spiritual disciplines. You can't get to the heroic nature of what it means to be a Christ follower without these steps. But here's the outworking of that. The outworking of that is a confidence when you walk into the captain of the guard's office and say, hey, I know you're supposed to blow me away right now, but I got, I've got something to tell you. I've got something to say. Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. I wish I was that bold. I wish I was this. You know what? If you're wishing that you were, what you need to go back and look at is you say, what has the totality of my walk with Jesus looked like over time? Is it looking like I'm, I'm submitting to his power or does it look like I use him as a gumball machine and just, I, just, I just want the right gumball right now? Would you just give that to me? Am I using him as though he, he is here to serve me or am I using him as the one that I am going to serve? So there's a confidence and a courage that comes from this. Then there's also, in verse 25, look at what it says here. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste. He didn't wait. And said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. What did that guy just do? Well, he's disobeying an order. Like when, my kid, when I tell my kids, hey, do this right now. And then they, they disobey that order. I mean, there, that, there's discipline involved. But what, but what happens is, here's this guy, Arioch. He is essentially like, I mean, he, he's a bad-of-the-bone dude. He's been given an order. Kill these guys. And Daniel walks in and says, don't do it. And why does he turn around and say, in haste, he walks in very quickly and says, hang on a second, king. Arioch is putting his neck on the line. Why? Because Daniel has credibility. Daniel hasn't just been walking with Jesus when things got bad. Daniel's been walking with Jesus. Walking with Yahweh. He's been walking with him on a regular basis. And he has said this. He's not defiled himself. He's not gone against the scriptures. He's walked as he should walk. He's walked in a moral way, yes, in holiness to God. Not just to be moral, but toward, to God, as an offering to God. He said, I will not defile myself with the king's food. He did it kindly, but he has created a pattern of his life where it's like, this would be expected of Daniel. What Daniel says is true. 
When Arioch knows about Daniel, what he knows about Daniel is that when Daniel speaks, what Daniel says is true. Daniel hasn't left work early or marked up his timesheet. Daniel hasn't been cheating on his wife. He's probably a eunuch, so he probably didn't have a wife, but you get what I'm saying? Daniel has been a moral guy. I've seen that he walks with this God, that he takes it seriously. And when he walks in and says, I have something to tell you, I have something to tell the king, would you please vouch for me in this? Will you go do this? And Arioch says, okay. In haste, he goes into the king. Daniel has credibility. He has credibility because he has built that credibility over time and ultimately rooted in his life with God that has given him confidence and so he walks in and he does something very dangerous. And then let's see what happens. Verse 26. The king declared to Daniel, his name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? What we should insert there is because there were some other guys that walked in here the other day and they, and they all claimed that they could do this thing and then they can't do it because I asked them to tell me what the dream was and they couldn't do that and so I decided I was going to kill them. But are, are you here telling me that you're going to tell me the dream and the interpretation? That's what's, that's what's being said here. And Daniel answered and said exactly what the other guys said, kind of. Nope. Puts his neck on the line. Such incredible courage. No wise men, enchanter, magician, or astrologer can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. There's nobody. No one can do that. Look at what he says in verse... 30, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king. What's Daniel doing? See, in, in, in Daniel's life, there's not, there's not like this pride and this arrogance that comes from, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. I serve the God of the universe. There's not this pride and this arrogance that believes that somehow my skills are my own. I, I figured out, I'm just, I'm prayerful enough. I go to the right church, and, and that's, that's why I can figure out these dreams. It's this guy that I'm following. There's some movements that teach that. You follow this guy, you get his stuff, you get his gifting. What's, what's Daniel say? It is, there is nobody that can do this. This has not been revealed to me because I'm smarter or wiser or anything like that. There's nothing about my life that says that I should have this skill. There's nothing about my life that says that, that I should be in this place. Why? Why is this? What's, what's happening? He's in community. He's in prayer. He's in praise and worship. It em he, is, he embodies that. He's, he says, I cannot live as an island. I have to have friends that love Yahweh to keep me straight. 
I cannot fix this on my own. I need God's mercy. I, uh, I need to say who's in charge and in control. I need to worship God. I read an article from a so-called Christian. I started to read it, and then I got angry the other day, actually. That was basically like, here's why you should essentially worship yourself. Here, here's why you should. Daniel's not a worshiper of himself. He's not saying I'm dog meat, but he's, he's saying I can't do it on my own. And then what happens in this situation is, is he finally ends up in that heroic moment. And he's able to say what has, he's always been saying. What has always been true. I don't have it. God does. I can't fix it. God can. God, you're awesome. You're everything. You're, you're the only reason I have anything that I do have. It's humility from top to bottom. It's humility. What's this mean for us as believers? It means this. The basis of what it means to be a follower of God through Jesus Christ on the cross is to admit this. I can't fix it. I have to have what you have for me, God. I can't fix my life. This means that when you begin your Christian life, it's not you don't walk away from the cross of Jesus and say, okay, now life is better and now I, I, now I know the gospel and now I need to go and live like Daniel and, and, be, uh, and be a moral person. It's true that you should live that way, but not for that reason. You should live that way because Jesus went to the cross and it's constantly on your heart. Like, he loved me like in a way that I never loved him. In fact, I hated him. In reality, the scripture says, I don't have a leg to stand on. I can't fix it. I can't fix my life. I don't have any ability to make things better. And so what does it take? It takes humility. And here's what you find out. That the humility that you have, the willingness that you have to say, God, I need to trust you. I, I need your death your, your life, your death, your burial, your resurrection for my life to pay for my sins. Here's what you find out about when you're able to say that, that it wasn't you at all that enabled you to do that. Even your decision to follow Jesus is given to you. The ability to make that decision by God. Because God comes in and he softens your heart and he says, I know that this entire secular world is built on the ability to make your own way, to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, to build the American dream. You have everything in front of you. You can do this. You deserve it. I, I know that the entire world is telling you this, but the truth is this, that you can't do it on your own. Only I can. See, God's sovereignty is even in control of our decisions to even receive him. He enables our, our, our belief in him. And so what does this mean? It, it means that you can't even be prideful about your humility to become a Christian because it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to Jesus. It belongs to him. And so what takes place as a result? 
Daniel answered the king and said, verse 27, no wise men, enchanters, and all those other people, verse 28, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in your bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this. He who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. It is not me, it is God. It is not me who reveals these things to you. It is the creator God, the one who's given you every bit of wisdom, the one who set you up as a king. The one who is in control of all these things. It is him. It is not me. And look at what it says at the very last line there in verse 30. That you may know the thoughts of your mind. When God comes in, not only does he do incredible things like saving you, but you begin to know yourself better you begin to know yourself in the way that God intended you to know yourself. That's what was happening with Nebuchadnezzar. He was going to, what am I thinking? What, what's, what's going on? God is the one that can explain this. God is the one that can do this. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, I, I want to ask uh, for those of us in here that are maybe resistant towards some of the things that I have said today, just about um, community and prayer and, and uh, just believing that you are ultimately and finally in control and how that pushes us into understanding and being able to respond with proclamation of who you are. So Lord, I, I pray that you would just begin to work on us, Lord, that we would understand you, Lord, that we'd believe in you, that we'd place uh, our hopes in you. Lord, I want to pray for those that have been Christian in name only. Perhaps they grew up in the church and it's never really taken root in their lives. Lord, I'm praying that they would begin asking, in reality, do I really believe this? Is this really what I want? Is this really the thing that I have hoped in? Or has this just been something that my family was a part of? Or is this just something that I just got into because I have a group of friends like this? Or is this just something because I'm simply an American? Do I really believe this? So Lord, I, I pray that you'd cause us to be true believers, that you'd cause us to be people that are thoroughly from the top down, from the center out, believers in you, hopers in who you are. It's in your name we pray. Amen.